WBCA Radio is proud to present City Talk, where fascinating conversation is alive and well, with your host, Boston Radio veteran, Ken Meyer. Well, hello again, everybody. When you talk about an icon, as far as comedy is concerned, one of the shows that you have to mention is the Dick Van Dyke Show. And the gentleman who knows everything in the world about that program is going to talk with us about it today. David Van Dusen, executive producer of the Dick Van Dyke Show. And, and David, I can already tell how much fun you and I are going to have. Me too, Ken. It's, I, this is my passion to talk about, so let's go. All right. Um, you had guys that were really involved in the show, like Danny Thomas, uh, Sheldon Leonard, and I love the story about how they got Mary Tyler Moore because Danny Thomas said he had seen her somewhere and he wanted the girl with three names. Right. Yet Mary had actually uh, auditioned to be the daughter, the, the part of the daughter on Danny's show. But but in the end, he said he couldn't hire her because no one believed would believe that Mary's nose could have come out of Danny Thomas's jeans and his nose. Right. So. <laughs> uh, uh, um, and if you take a, if you take a look at photos of them, I think he's probably right. He had he had quite quite a big hooked nose compared to Mary. Yeah, and they and they made a lot of jokes about it on the program too. Right. All right, but but let's go back a little bit further. How did you get from Albany, New York, to Los Angeles and get involved in the Dick Van Dyke Show? Well, uh, I was born in 1960, and of course, the Dick Van Dyke Show was on from 1961 to 1966. So I suspect that as a very young child, I would have seen the show. But uh, my guess is, is that I became um, enamored with it and familiar with it um, during my my later years, you know, in the, in the late 60s, when the show continued to be on in, in reruns, sometimes even during the daytime, daytime hours, right? Um, and, and I was just, I think, um, I, I've always enjoyed music, and I think the musical numbers um, interested me that that they did with Dick and Mary and Rosemarie and Maury Amsterdam. But but I think also um, Dick's physical comedy um, was just incredible and unbelievable, right? I mean, a body of rubber um, and the things that he was able to do, um, you know, miming walking a dog sitting in a chair and like sliding out of it, you know, tr tripping over the ottoman in the opening segment. Uh, his pratfalls and his physical abilities were just unbelievable. Um, and I think that that's where I got an interest in it, right? And I think um, through my teenage years, you know, that sort of waned and into my 20s. But um, in the early 90s, Nick at Night, you know, retroact retro television brought brought the show back and it sort of brought it all back to me. And I thought, you know, I wonder if anyone has a fan club for this show. And I did some digging and found there wasn't one. And I thought, hmm, I, I wonder, if how, how do you go about starting something like that? So I actually tried to start a Dick Van Dyke show fan club and was denied the request by Viacom, who had the licensing and ownership uh, privileges at the time of, of for the licensing. Um, but a friend who had done things with fan club said, David, start a publication about, about the show and title it something that you think will mean something to fans of the show. 
She said, you know, something like maybe life in New Rochelle, right? Because the, the Petries were well known for having lived in, in New Rochelle in upstate New York. And I thought, gee, you know, that that's an interesting thought. Um, and life at New Rochelle didn't really, you know, hit it with me. But I thought there was that episode about walnuts that was one yeah. of my favorites, right? And yep. so I started a publication called The Walnut Times. Um, ah. This was in the, the mid-1990s when I was in my mid-30s and uh, ended up publishing the newsletter uh, for 20 years. And in the course of publishing the newsletter, I, you know, did interviews with cast members and guest stars from the show. Um, and as a fan, you, you'll, I couldn't believe it, but I actually then, um, you know, established friendships with Carl Reiner and Dick Van Dyke and Rose Marie and, and so many others from the show. Um, so I, I'm told that I was born on July 20th, 1960. I'm told on July 19th, 1960, Carl Reiner's original pilot, Head of the Family, aired the day before I was born. So I, it was, there was something in the cards or something in the stars. I, I don't know, Ken, but um, that it almost seems uh, too close to, to not have some impact. And of course, my initials, uh, DVD, are the same as the man himself. Right. So we have a few few little odd connections there that tie us all together. Now, the interesting thing about what you just mentioned was that Carl Reiner played the part of the the head writer that eventually was taken over by Dick Van Dyke. But right. CBS didn't like it. Yes, the the pilot did not go well. And, um, it, you know, it, it aired and then sort of the whole idea of the show sat on the shelf for oh, a good year or more, right? Um, when Sheldon Leonard had heard about it and approached Carl and, you know, Carl had written 13 scripts in concept for the show, which is unheard of, but he did because he just kept going and developed the characters and and Sheldon approached him and said, you know, we, we need to try this again. And Carl said, I don't want to fail twice, right? With the same material. And Sheldon Leonard in his wisdom said, we'll get a better actor to play you. And that's when we got Dick Van Dyke from Broadway and Bye Bye Birdie, and sort of the rest is history. Yeah, it's it's that whole ensemble of the cast just worked so well together. I mean, everybody just fit right in from from uh, Dick to Mary and uh, uh, Maury Amsterdam, and it was just amazing. Even even Richard Deacon. Correct. Yes. Yep. Dick Dick used to say that. Uh, well, and still says right that. Um, they were like otters, you know, in the water. It was like a big playground for all of them. And um, the creative energy, I think, you know, again, Reiner set the, uh, established the environment, the creative environment, and then sort of let everybody go. And, and he would, you know, write a story and they would sit around the table and they would read through it. And, and uh, Dick would say, no, I, you know, I, I don't think I should say this. Maybe Maury should say this. And Maury would say, well, what if we, you know, use this joke here? And, and you know, so the whole dynamic there was a very collaborative, creative, energetic one. Um, and I think that, you know, attributed to the success of the show because uh, it, it seemed as though there were no egos, right? Everybody just wanted the show to, to be good in the end. Yeah. Well, uh, I read in a in a book by uh, 
Herman Palato uh, a little while ago that there was only one incident when Mary kind of lost her temper. Uh-huh. And it was in an episode called, <laughs> and I love the show, Never Bathe on a Saturday. Right. Yeah. Um, Herbie has written a nice book about Mary Tyler Moore. Folks should, folks should certainly go out and take a read of that and find it. Um, but yes, the episode in question, um, behind the scenes during that week's filming of the episode, Mary had tried to quit smoking and apparently she was quite a heavy smoker. And during the, the, the course of this, uh, episode, found out that she was going to be off camera for most of the episode and was very upset about that um, and, and expressed that to Carl. And Carl tried to, you know, reassure her, but Mary, you're going to be off stage, unseen, but in a bathtub. And American men are going to wonder about how you look in that bathtub. So there will be much focus on you. But uh, apparently the nicotine withdrawal of the week you know, got the best of her. Um, and at one point she stormed, stormed off the set and left. And, you know, later that night she did call Carl and she apologized, but she said, I'm very embarrassed. I, I can't come back. And he said, no, Mary, we all, we all have our times. Right. Um, but, but let me reassure you again, this, this episode will be a great success. And, and as you just mentioned, Ken, you said you love it, right? It's one yep. of the, one of the more popular episodes and well-known episodes of, of the show, which she gets her toe caught in the bathroom tub faucet. <laughs> yeah. And it's interesting how they used other people from uh, different parts of the cast, like the gentleman who played Sally's boyfriend, Herman Glimpshire, right. had a part in that episode, but as somebody else. Bill uh, Bill Idelson was the actor, yep. From actually Vic and Sade radio days, Bill, Bill was a young a young teenage kid during during that era when he was on that radio show. But you're right. Um, Bill really was mo- most well known for being Herman Glimcher, but in this particular episode was the house detective at the very posh hotel that they were staying. And and Bill Bill actually said that was his favorite role that he did on the show, not not Herman. He felt like he could do more with that role and and the the humor that was involved. And that's funny because he really wasn't in the show that much. No, but that particular it, it, one. Right. But it, but it's people seem to know him pretty well, like he was in a lot. Right. So <laughs> I, I guess, again, it's, it's attributable to Reiner's writing so that the scenes that you have um, stick in your mind and are memorable to you. All right. You we kind of alluded to a one or two episodes uh, that I would like to cover. You briefly mentioned the walnut. Right. Um, which I I heard when it was originally done, they thought it was terrible. Sheldon Leonard always would make the rounds on the Desilu Cahuenga uh, lot because he was doing uh, the Van Dyke show. He was doing the Griffith show. He was doing the Danny Thomas show. So he would make rounds to sit in on the table reads. And, and they read the Walnut episode and Sheldon looked at them all and he said, I don't I don't get it. It's not funny. But but do what you want, right? And Reiner said, "No, Sheldon, it's funny. Uh, do do what you want, right?" And off he went. And they sort of all looked at each other, not being sure what to do. But but ended up, you know, proceeding to to go forth with it. Um, and it was very well embraced by by the viewing public. And being the um, the guy that he was, you know, Leonard came back the next week and said, 
you know, sorry, I, I was wrong. I, I didn't see it. Now, now that you've executed, I, I get it. But he said on the page, you know, it, it didn't, it didn't make it for me. Right. But, you know, the, the clip of Mary Tyler Moore or Laura Petrie coming out of their front hallway closet on 2000 pounds of walnut is certainly a memorable one. It often shows up in, in retrospective clips of, of television sitcoms, a great, great clip. And Danny Thomas was in that show again, briefly. Right. Danny made a, uh, uh, an appearance Cameo. as Kolak, Kolak from the planet Twilo. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and he was contaminating all the walnuts. And if you came in contact with those walnuts, you would lose your sense of humor and your thumbs. Right. And, and, and Carl, you know, talked about the fact that, um, it was very important to have a high profile, uh, celebrity fulfill that role. Um, and I, I think they, you know, approached Danny and asked if he would do it. And he said he would love to do it. Right. And, and as one of the owners of the show, it was also great, um, for him to be part of one episode. Yes. And, and we talked about, uh, you know, how things evolved in certain situations. And there was one that involved Maury Amsterdam and a bar mitzvah that resulted in a show. Right. Well, Carl would always sit around at lunchtime and he would come up with story ideas by asking people, hey, what, what's going on in your neighborhood? What's going on in your family? And one day they were talking about um, the, the various guys there about their bar mitzvahs. And, and Maury said, you know, Carl said, tell me about yours. And Maury said, well, I can't because I never had one. And Carl was a bit aghast. He said, what do you mean? He said, well, we didn't really have the money at the time. So he said, I, I never had one. So Carl said, well, we're, we're going to have one then and we're going to write an episode. So indeed he did. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, at first there was a little um, a little suspense in that Buddy was, you know, sneaking away, doing things and his his writing partners Rob and Sally weren't really sure if there was something surreptitious going on, but ultimately it it came to be revealed that um, you know he was studying so that he was prepared for his bar mitzvah, um, and so the story goes that Maury Amsterdam tells about the filming of that episode is to make it as real as possible. Um, Carl Reiner hired a real cantor to sing, you know, part of the service in the episode. Um, not realizing apparently that the guy was going to go whole hog. And when he started singing, they had a time getting him to stop. He kept going on and on and on and on. And so Maury, Maury says, we, we, we all sort of looked at each other about what, what are we going to do? And he said, finally, there was a moment where the guy stopped because he had to take a breath. And when he did that, Maury says, I yelled one more time. And he said, everybody <laughs> cracked up and, you know, we stopped the filming and sort of made the point. And then we were able to pick up and, and get the rest of the, the episodes done that we needed to get done. But yeah, a great, great story, you know, a tribute to Maury on uh, one hand, and then a, a great backstory, if you will, um, for Maury's memory about what happened on that episode. I liked pickles. Yes. Tell me about pickles. There were two pickles. <laughs> That's Buddy's wife, in case anybody can't remember. Right. There were two actresses that played Pickles, Buddy's wife, whose real name was, do you know that, Ken? Do you remember? That I don't know. Her her real name was Fiona. Oh, brother. And, and, she, and she remarked to uh, the Petries visiting in their living room that all the girls named Pickles, you know, um, 
had the real first name was Fiona. And Rob said, well, how many other girls are there with Fiona? And she said, oh, just me. <laughs> but um, Pickles was a play originally by actress Barbara Perry, who was a very well-known dancer in Hollywood. Um, and then she ended up uh, being unable to return, I think, to some subsequent episodes. So then an actress by the name of Joan Shawley took over the part um, to, to fill out the role of Pickles when, when they needed it. So Yeah, that was, that was, that was a great bit. Um, yes. And, and you talk about dancing. Mary, Mary did that uh, in a show. And, and that's what she, uh, from what I understand, that's what she really wanted to do was to be a dancer. Mary really, yes, was a trained dancer, wanted really to be a dancer and a singer, sort of like musical theater, um, according to um, an interview that I did recently with her husband, Robert Levine. Um, but, um, you know, she got on the Van Dyke show and really had never done comedy. Um, but um, through small scenes, Carl could see the potential and Dick could see the potential and they started to afford her opportunities where she really just exploded in, in terms of her abilities, right? Um, and he began to write more, more scenes for the home um, as well. And then, as I said, Carl managed to work in to uh, storylines, opportunities for the cast members to um, show off their, their multi-talented um, backgrounds. Uh, so, yeah. you know, it was, it was great to see Mary and Dick sing a song or do a dance, right? And Carl particularly liked those episodes because it meant he didn't have to write as many pages of dialogue because a musical number would fill up two or two and a half minutes. Yeah, it, uh, they had some great uh, um, musical uh, episodes. I, I enjoyed the ones where they had the neighbors and they were trying to put together a, a, a local kind of like Broadway show. Yeah, the PTA. Um, yeah. Good old Mrs. Billings. Yes, yes. Good old Eleanor Audley, who played Mrs. Billings, right? Yep. Um, very, very famous actress, you know, uh, well known for the wicked stepmother in Disney's Cinderella, Eleanor Audley. So, um, but uh, yes, uh, you know, one of the shows um, featured performer Sylvia Lewis. Um, Sylvia was uh, a new neighbor who didn't speak English. She spoke Spanish, but she wanted to audition for the show. And, and uh, you know, Mrs. Billings said, well, Laura's going to do the lead. And Laura said, no, no, no. Everybody gets, a, you know, a fair chance. And Sylvia Lewis got up and did an, an amazing <laughs> dance, right? And while she was doing it, Rob was enthralled and smiling and, you know, amazed at her potential. And then they cut to... Mary as Laura, and she had this very upset, <laughs> look on her face that she wasn't going to get the lead in the show anymore. <laughs> yeah. I her I loved her line, which was, "It's up to the director to decide." Correct, right? And, and there, <laughs> yeah, poor Rob had to decide, right? Yep. Uh, and I that another line that comes to mind is, you know, Rob and talking to Laura about the other woman's performance, you know. Oh, yeah, she was good. You know, she did dance and she danced and she did this. And he said, but when that's all gone, he said, what's left except her haunting beauty? <laughs> yeah. I, uh, now, there was another episode, and it's amazing. 
the people that pop up in them. They did another one, and Bob Crane was in it. Before he was. Hogan's Heroes. Correct. Yes. Um, yeah, the, he, he had to play. Uh, oh, uh, you know, isn't that terrible? What, I, it, yeah, one of the neighbors. Um, yeah, he was one of the Harry. He was Harry the next Harry, one, yeah. right? And he had yep. to do a a scene with with Ann Gilbert, um, and um, Jerry didn't like the fact Jerry Paris, who played Jerry Helper, didn't like the fact that handsome Bob Crane was you know kissing Millie, so they needed to get someone else, right? So yeah. they ended up getting what they thought was this librarian type with thick horn rim glasses and you know <laughs> her hair up in a bun. Until she sat down on the couch and she took off her glasses and she let down her hair. And then, oh boy, was that trouble. And Harry's wife came in and said, Harry, let's go. <laughs> yeah. You know? I, I like that. How yeah. are things in Rome? Yes. Horrific. <laughs> you, you do, you do now, know the show, Ken. I'm, I'm impressed. Now, Annie Gilbert, who played uh, Millie, did a, did a great uh, bit in the... Um, Episode Too Many Stars. Yep. She she sang her audition song. I think that's what you're referring to, right? Yep. Yeah. Um, my heart got a terrible start, right? Um, yep, yep. And, and yes, she, she, you know, um, and one of the final lines is, but first I'll kill myself. I'm funny that way. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. No. So yeah, that, that was, that was, a, a again, another, uh, another great moment that you know carl could see clear to include in the show right i think um it was their opportunity to leverage the talents of the cast members in in whatever way they could to to try to entertain the audience i i enjoyed the shows that carl reiner appeared in i almost wish there were more but one i'll always remember is coast to coast big mouth right so, you know, Carl initially was playing the role of Alan Brady, but his feeling was he had, you know, previously been on Sid Caesar's show of shows or the Sid Caesar show um, as the second banana to Sid. And his thinking early on was that if he was seen on camera as Alan Brady, the audience wouldn't believe it because they would be hearkening back to his role as the second banana on, on Sid Caesar. Um, so he was always shown from the rear and you never really saw him. You just heard him for many of the early episodes uh, until one point, and I can't remember whether it was Costabo's Big Mouth or one prior to that, where he felt um, he needed to be seen, right? Uh, mm -hmm. I, I think it was prior to Coast to Coast Big Mouth, but, um, but finally, yes, to, to be on camera, um, but probably the, the most famous episode is the one you refer to where Laura goes on a game show um, and gets tricked by the host and reveals that Alan Brady is bald and yes. it reveals it to the world. Right. But yep. uh, they're not sure that, you know, everybody saw the TV um, or, uh, you know, we're, we're going to be aware of it, but it became evidently clear that, uh, Alan was aware of it. So Mary visits uh, Alan's office where on his desk he has the styrofoam heads of the various toupees that he has in his collection. Alan just got a haircut. Alan's hair is thinning. 
you know, Alan needs a haircut sort of thing where he sort of has conversations with his toupees, right? Um, yep. And, you know, one of the, the best lines is he, he asks Laura, you know, you know, now that you revealed my secret, what am I supposed to do with all of these toupees? And Laura's classic line is, well, there must be some needy bald people, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, so as an extension of that story, let me tell you that we do, fans of the show all have that vision of, you know, Brady's desk sitting there with the styrofoam heads. Um, that desk um, still exists and actually is on display in Jamestown, New York, at a museum called the National Comedy Center. Ah. And uh, they actually acquired the desk from, believe it or not, Larry Matthews, who played Richie on the show. Um, after the Dick Van Dyke show ended and Larry finished college, he went to work for Danny Thomas Productions. And one day he and another another guy got a call and we're told you have to clean out this warehouse of our stuff so you can keep what you want but you gotta if you don't want it get rid of it right and as they were there cleaning it out larry realized that this particular desk was the desk that was used for alan brady so larry took the desk and has had it for 40 years until he decided he would like to donate it to the National Comedy Center so that other fans of the show have an opportunity to appreciate it too. So um, that that is now where Alan Brady's desk resides for everyone to see. And it's, no, in, James, I, it's in Jamestown, New York, because um, it's the birthplace of Lucille Ball. Lucy, yeah, right. And exactly. Lucy said she, upon her passing, what she would like to have happen is to have something that would keep comedy alive because that you know if we laugh it keeps us young right and keeps us uh vivacious it keeps us engaged and so they were able finally to follow through with her wishes and establish this comedy center which is now the repository for the collections of many many comedians um archives so now i i read or heard somewhere that when jerry mathers had to learn his lines he had to work with his mother because he had dyslexia and, and she helped him learn his lines. Now, the character of Richie seemed pretty young. How did he manage to learn his? I, I think, um, you know, Larry, Larry Matthews now, who's 67, 68 years old, um, as we sit here today, um, yeah. just actually spoke to Larry yesterday, believe it or not. Um, he's doing well uh, in retirement now. Um, Larry was five when the show started, and I, I think you probably accurately described the way Larry also learned his lines, and that is his mother would accompany him to the set, um, and I believe she would run his lines with him, and occasionally you'll find a um, a, a script of his um, out there in the marketplace and you can see little little notes where you see his mother has written, don't laugh, you can't laugh here, right? Uh, it's very interesting, but I think his mom pretty much was his coach in learning his lines, right? But then, you know, Larry also took direction from John Rich, one of the directors, and Jerry Paris, one of the other directors. And in one particular episode, he had to cry um, because his, his ducks that had grown up and were his pets 
were going to have to be re released back into the wild. And, you know, he said to his mother, Mommy, I, I, I don't know how to cry, right? So she said, well, go talk to Mr. Leonard, and I'm sure he'll help you. So Larry went over, and Sheldon, you know, said, oh, you know, yeah, let, let me tell you a story about my dog, and proceeded to, to talk about his longtime dog companion that got hit by a car, was killed. And Larry explains, you know, by the time he got done, he said, I was a, a basket of tears, right? And then went in and, and did the episode. Um, so, um, you know, of course, by the time the show was done, he was 10. And it was a bit easier because, um, you know, pro probably early on, he couldn't even read, right? Five years old. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, um, but uh, Larry, Larry has very, very fond memories of working on the show um, and just s such an impactful uh, time uh, in his life. Now, if I recall, Sheldon Leonard was in one episode as a gangster. He was. The episode was called Big Max Calvada. And the premise was that uh, Big Max's nephew uh, wanted to get into show business. And, and truth be told, behind the scenes, Big Max didn't think that his nephew had much talent, but yeah. he had he had the means to hire the best comedy writers in Rob and Buddy and Sally to put together a nightclub act for him in the hopes that the kid would realize that when he even with great material, right, he, he, if he bombed that maybe he should try a different career. Right. So that that was the, the premise of the whole episode. Um, but it was it was great. Um, Sheldon actually, uh, uh, there's a, probably an asterisk by that. Sheldon only appeared in one episode, but he was also heard in another episode from an offstage voice. Um, oh. and, um, he, he, the role that he played was Floyd B. Bariscal, I think was the name. Oh, you know? yes. Yes. Um, so, uh, but you only heard him from off from off stage, right? I think that I have the character's name correct, um, but um, you know, again, Sheldon, um, you know, was the the governing the governing body of of the Van Dyke Show as as well as many of those others. So, I never I never got a chance, unfortunately, to uh, interview Leonard, but he struck me as a a nice guy and b a great talent because he also played Phil Brokaw, who was Danny Thomas's or Danny Williams' agent in the Danny Thomas show. Right. And is probably most well known uh, to very old folks um, as the bartender uh, in It's a Wonderful Life. I'll go back even further. He was also a, a, a tout at a racetrack uh -huh. that Jack Benny would run into. Uh huh. Uh huh. You know, hey, bud. Come here yeah. a minute. You know? <laughs> so I, I, I did have one opportunity to interview Sheldon, and um, it, I, I'll tell you, it was a little intimidating because he, he was extremely well-spoken, right? Uh, interestingly, he was late to our to our interview because he he got stopped in Beverly Still Beverly Hills uh, and given a speeding ticket because he was going too fast. <laughs> <laughs> But, oh, but I said to him, Sheldon, you know, you're an actor, you're a producer, you're a director, you know, wh which which of these things um, did you enjoy the most? And his answer was an interesting one, which was 
um, whichever one I'm doing at the time is my favorite. So uh-huh. I, thought was, I thought that was an interesting answer. Yeah, those those were all such good shows. And sometimes they would borrow a premise from one uh, and use it in another show, but just with a different different characters yeah. sometimes. Um, why did the show end? There's all kinds of speculation in the book. Uh, one is that, that Disney made uh, Dick Van Dyke um, more offers to work in movies. Another was that uh, 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 Grant Tinker wanted more parts for Mary. Um, wh- why did it end? Well, Mr. Reiner would tell you that his intention from the very start was to do five years and, and be done, which is what they ended up doing. Um, and the reason for that was uh, he did not want the show to be repetitive or to be stale. Um, as, and so, so that was the premise starting the show in 1961. Certainly as the show became popular and Dick's, uh, you know, became a much more well-known celebrity in, in entertainment and Mary, um, they each got multiple offers for motion pictures, um, you know, and, and Dick did a couple of them, of course, you know, during, during the show, right. He did Mary Poppins and, um, uh, during, during hiatus from the show. Um, but, um, the confusion I think comes because the show really went out, um, you know, on an upward climb, it, it, it was still doing very well. And there was some thought that it could continue and become more interesting to the viewers if they stopped shooting in black and white and moved to color. Um, but R- Reiner sort of stuck to his guns and said, no, nope, y- you know, I said five years, that's what we're going to do. And, and we'll move on and uh, leave everybody with the, the positive memories and, and the, and the short thoughts of our characters. Right. So, um, so um, I, I think, you know, Rosemary and Maury would have loved to have continued doing it. Um, but um, ultimately, you know, Reiner said, you know, we're going to be done. So that, that, that's the real story as I know. Yeah. Rosemary, I understand had a rough time because her husband had passed away during the filming of the show. Right. And I understand Richard Deacon was most considerate in making sure that, that things went well for her. Right. So yeah, her husband who was famous trumpeter, Bobby Guy, you know, he's a trumpeter uh, in the Tonight Show Orchestra and for Bing Crosby and on many, many famous recordings, um, got a sudden illness and they, they consulted with doctors around the world trying to figure out what what this illness was. And um, they they I'm not sure that they ever really pinpointed it. It, w- it was some sort of blood blood illness. Um, and he passed, you know, during the during the run of the show. And she you're right, was said, I, I can't go on. I, you know, I'm going to have to leave the show. Um, Richard Deacon was really like a big brother to her in many ways. Um, and very protective of her to make sure that things weren't said that that would upset her. Although the cast, I think, you know, was certainly attentive to that as well. But it was director John Rich who actually changed her mind about leaving the show, you know, went to visit her at her home and uh, convinced her that um, it would be 
a, a bad move or not the right move to, to leave the show, but instead to stay engaged with the show, right? Stay busy. Um, and, and the people that, that were around her, you know, were sort of like her family and, and could support her. So, um, but, uh, it, it was certain, certainly a, a tough time, right? Um, yep. uh, a few years ago, 2017, uh, a film about Rosemary's career and life, um, and really her love story, um, was, um, released. It's called Wait for Your Laugh. Um, and it, it's quite an entertaining look at the history of Hollywood because Rosemary was really there for it all, right? She was baby Rosemary on radio and she was two, three years old, four years old. Um, th then she had a career in vaudeville, right? Um, then she had a small break in her career, but then was hired as one of the first performers by the mob, albeit in Las Vegas, um, opening the first major nightclub there with Jimmy Durante and Xavier Cugat in the 1940s, right? And then in the early stages of television um, with Bob Cummings on the Bob Cummings show, and then found her way to Van Dyke. And then, of course, in subsequent years, um, was the longest tenured uh, member on Hollywood Squares. Um, and in, in her twilight years, was involved in... Uh, an act called Four Girls Four with three other women who each had individual acts and then did combined numbers together. So yeah, Rose, Rosie Clooney, I think. Yep. Uh, um, Rosie Clooney, uh, Helen O'Connell. Yep. Yep. Um, and oh, isn't that terrible? K Star was also in the group at one point. That you're doing think, better than me. Yeah, and I think um, oh, isn't that terrible? Um, I should know that, but. But Clooney and Rosemary and and Helen O'Connell, I think, were were the three that were the same. And K Star um, was there, and um, isn't that awful? Um, yeah. Dan but, Thomas and Milton Berle kind of did the same thing later uh -huh. on too, as I recall. So um, qu quite, qu you know, this this year actually is the one um, hundredth would have been the one hundredth birthday of Rosemary. Uh, and her family has been working on um, a special project to commemorate that. I'm, I'm not, I can't, can't reveal what that is, but I'll just say to, to listeners, stay tuned because there'll be um, a, a special, special something coming to commemorate Rose Marie's, uh, what would have been her 100th birthday. Uh, speaking of old radio people, very briefly, there were two others that were in a couple of episodes. One played um rob's father and that was tom tully uh-huh and the other one was natalie masters who uh uh played candy matson but who also played in an episode called two show-offs in me uh-huh so they did get old radio people involved yeah uh, i'm i'm recalling um yeah another <laughs> episode where um, the telephone lady, Arlene, help me. Um, <laughs> I'm trying. Oh, uh, they they brought back some some old time radio stars, right? With the with the advent of television, right? They'd been sort of forgotten, right? Well, Edwin Carp, uh, yes, the, the fish man was on, and the Mad Russian was on, 
And how do you do? Yes, how do you do? Um, <laughs> and and oh, the lady who would do t- telephone conversations. Um, isn't that terrible? The only uh, one I can think of is Lloyd Tomlin, but I no, don't think that's who you got in mind. No. Um, I I wish I had uh, my Dick Van Dyke Show Bible. Uh, another good book that I'll give a plug for is uh, another gentleman, Vince Waldron, has sort of written a great book about the Dick Van Dyke Show, um, sort of about all the episodes and the players. Um, and um, and yeah, so, um, but 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 yes, again, I think Reiner sort of tip of the hat back back to folks, right? For their- yep creative uh, contributions to, to entertainment history. So now Dick and Mary worked together later on. Um, there was a, what a, what Dick and the other woman or something. Right. 1969. Uh, Mary had left the show and had gone to try to do some other things, which hadn't gone too well for her. Um, Dick had had um, a couple of other specials that he had done. Um, and, the, the idea came, um, what if we did, you know, it's been three years now since Van Dyke's show went off the air. Uh, what if you invited Mary to come and do a special with you? So the, the special that you just referenced, Dick Van Dyke and the Other Woman, uh, was produced in 1969 um, and brought Mary back. Um, and Dick and Mary did, you know, some song and dance numbers that were very clever. They sort of reminisced about the Dick Van Dyke show. Uh, and it was through that show that um, Mary sort of got CBS's attention back. Um, and that was the reason that they offered her the Mary Tyler Moore show, ultimately. Yeah. Poor show only lasted seven years. Poor show, right? Yeah. <laughs> Now, I, I was also surprised at some of the other great things that Mary did. Um, not only ordinary people, but also when first you cry, which involved Betty Rollins, a, a reporter from NBC. Yep, Mary, Mary's career, you know, interestingly, right? Mary um, dipped her toe into a number of different roles, which um, fans didn't expect, right, as her career as her career went on. Um, and, and I would be remiss if I didn't um, let fans know if they're not already aware of the fact that uh, a new two hour um, biopic about her life was just released last Friday by HBO. And it's quite, quite an entertaining and informative look at a, a career, a, a much different look than what most fans are used to. But um, I, I think, um, Mary was interested in in stretching, right? Different roles. And as you yep. said, Ordinary People was quite a contrast to the Laura Petrie and Mary Richards parts that fans were most accustomed to, for sure. Um, you told me you eventually got an interview with Mary, but it took a long time. Yeah. Um, how I, was she? I mean, did it range references in, in uh, Pilato's book that she did not get along for a while with Rosemary. Did she discuss that at all? Well, yeah, let, let me comment on that. I think that um, I, I would say that um, Rosemary would describe the, the relationship as um, during the Van Dyke show is sort of um, 
these are my words now, not hers, but, but business-like. In other words, they came into work, they got along, they worked together, but they weren't girlfriends, if you will, right? Um, yeah, like she they, was with Annie Gilbert. Right. They, they didn't seem to, to have that connection. And um, par part of that, I think, in retrospect, was um, Rosemarie probably felt a, a little animosity toward Mary, she's, she's admitted, because when the show was originally pitched, it was there's going to be these comedy writers and there's going to be this, you know, this writer's room, right? And um, the original opening of the Dick Van Dyke show um, lists Rosemarie as one of the top credits, right? But then as storylines evolved, and as we discussed earlier, right, Mary's um, capabilities, you know, became uh, apparent. They started to write more shows for, for the home, right? And and Rosemarie would always be back to Carl saying, you know, Carl, give us more to do. Give Maury and me more to do. Let's have more office scenes, right? So I think there was just some um, natural tension there for um, performers to to want to get their own screen time, right? Um, and I mean, they, as as both have admitted, there was, you know, they were not um, adversarial or anything like that, but they they just, you know, weren't weren't that close. Um, in later years, um, they, they sort of, you know, had contact with each other. And, and in 2004, Reiner did a reunion show where the, the two had an opportunity to, to talk and sort of acknowledge that to each other, that um, they, they both were sort of sad and disappointed that um, they, they didn't see beyond that at the time because they could have had a, a much nicer, much closer friendship. Um, but, um, you, you know, um, you know, that's just, just, just the way that it, it ended up playing out at the time. Yep. Now, kind of a compounded question. Uh, I've been throwing out some of my favorite episodes, right? A, what are some of yours and B, tell me about Dick Van Dyke show revisited. So my, my favorite show is, is that famous Walnut episode, right? I just think that the cleverness of, of Reiner's writing with the dream sequence and the walnuts coming out of the closet and Danny Thomas being involved and you lose your sense of humor and, and your thumbs and, um, and fans, you know, it's interesting. Many fans love that show, but there's, there is a cadre of fans that said, I'm like Sheldon, I, I don't get it. Or I didn't think it was that funny. Right. But that, that, that's certainly one of my favorites. Um, uh, another one was uh, a sort of a tip of the hat takeoff on candid camera where they went to a, a cabin, oh. right? Up in the woods. Yeah. And there ghost were all of sorts a chance. of, yeah, ghost of a chance, right? Where all sorts of weird, spooky things were happening. Great, great writing. Um, one of the scenes there was this um, couch that sort of was like a sofa bed that would open up this couch. Um, and Maury was laying on it as Buddy, and the couch started to close close itself, right? He had to jump out of the way. He said, you know, what is this, a man-eating couch, right? Again, yep. Maury, Maury, after the fact, said, yeah, they, they almost killed me with that couch. He said, it started to close up. No one told me. I had to just quickly get out of there before it got me, right? So, <laughs> um, so that that's another one of my favorites. Um, I, I do enjoy That's My Boy. Um, ah. which was the the mix up with the babies at the hospital, right? Ultimately, um, yep. making Rob look a little silly because you know the the baby that they thought 
perhaps was exchanged with theirs turned out to be a, a, a black baby, right? Um, yeah. And um, so I, I like that. Um, and, um, you know, coast, coast to coast, big mouth it clear, clearly is is one too, right? With the toupees and, and the like. Um, I enjoyed the Ballad of Betty Lou. Yeah, the sailboat, right? Jerry and Rob. I loved that drink. show. <laughs> loved it. Loved it. So, and um, there was another one with a new car. Yeah, his his tarantula that Laura yeah. scratches up on him, right? Yep. Yep. So, um, so the second part of your question, the Dick Van Dyke show revisited. So, um, you know, you know, for years people were asking Reiner, whatever happened to Rob and Laura Petrie? And he said, Oh, you know, you can't go home. We're not going to go back there. There was a retrospective show in 1994 where they gathered the players together and they reminisced. Right. But, um, that was 94. As I said, in 95, I started my publication and, you know, sent it to all the cast and they, they loved it. And, um, I, I kept saying to Reiner, um, Carl, you know, what happened to, to Rob and Laura? Oh, David, David. Well, um, I, I think with, uh, the resurgence of the show at Nick at night, and my newsletter and some popularity. I think Reiner finally said, "You know, maybe we could, we could do this." So, um, the show was honored at the 2003 TV Land Awards. Um, at which point, Reiner sort of made this like bold statement or announcement that maybe we're going to reunite Rob and Laura and Buddy and Sally and the rest of the group or whatever. Right. So, um, a year later, in fact. You know, he, he did just that and reunited all of the living cast members. So Dick and Mary, Rosemarie, um, he he called back Jerry Van Dyke, who appeared on the show. He got Larry Matthews. He got Bill Idelson, who is now uh, Sally's husband. Right. And Annie Gilbert was called back. Um, and um, Sandy Kenyon, who was also a guest star on the show, was brought back for for a bit part role. And the premise there was that Alan Brady, I guess, thought, you know, perhaps his his time was to, was coming, that he might pass. And he wanted to hire Rob and Sally to um, write his eulogy in advance of his death so he could approve it and make sure what they said about him was good. <laughs> so I like um, that. I, like I, um, that. I was very privileged and fortunate Um to be invited by Reiner to attend that filming and helped uh, select some flashback clips that were ultimately used. But for a fan of the show to sit up in the bleachers um, on this private set and see the recreated Petri living room in color, right, um, was just, just a phenomenal four or five days and to be able to engage and, and interact with the cast, right? and. Up to that point, you know, I'd been publishing my newsletter and I'd established relationships, but it was during that that period of time on the set that all of a sudden it hit me, Ken, that um, I wasn't an outsider anymore. I was really part of the Dick Van Dyke Show family. Um, and what a, what a great feeling that was for me um, as as a fan of the show to have earned the the respect and the confidence of the people involved so much that they invited me into the inner circle to be part of that. So it was qu quite, quite an experience. Where, where did they get their audiences for the shows? Um, 
Well, in, in the original, you know, 1960s, they they would the tickets were free, right? And they would go out and hand them away on the street and they would give out more more tickets than seats to fill, right? With the understanding that admission wasn't guaranteed, right? Um, but uh, they, they would fill with the the audience bleachers with probably two to 300 folks. And um, many times Reiner would come out and warm up the audience or Maury and Rosemary would warm up the audience. Um, Earl Hagen would be there with his orchestra and play, you know, stage band music uh, in advance of the show. Um, and it was really shot like a play from beginning to end. Um, they would just stop in between scenes, um, you know, to reload film cameras or, or whatever. Um, but if they make a mistake, they just back up and pick up and, and go on. So, you know, they start 730 at night and we're usually done by nine o'clock and, and out of there because that that's that's what it was. Right. So. Um, but, uh, you know, one one regret I had is I look back at the 60s. Oh, I would have loved to have been there for the original show. But the next best thing was was being there for uh, the filming of the reunion show in, in 2004. I'll bet there are people out there that are young that watch the show and don't know that it almost got canceled. After the first year, the ratings were poor. But again, we've said this name how many times in our conversation? Sheldon Leonard. Yep. With the sponsor, right? Um, and to, to keep the show and find a different time spot. And um, and it, it worked, right? Uh, the show, um, I believe, was re-aired over the summer and reruns and began to catch on. Um, and then it, it took hold and, and, you know, the time slots made a, made a big difference back then. Um, so I think Sheldon was very vigilant of being on top of, of, you know, where they were and trying to negotiate for, for the best spot. Well, I always watched the show and you want to talk about thrills. You just gave me one because I, I, I love the program and I love sitting here just reminiscing with you about some of the shows and some of the stars. I was lucky enough to talk with Van Dyke, uh, lucky enough to talk to Rose Marie. Unfortunately, it was over the death of Paul Lynn, uh, uh -huh. but also Maury, uh, when he was performing at one of the resorts up in the Catskill Mountains. Mm -hmm. And um, they're just, it's an era that is not going to be around anymore. I, I, I would agree. I think um, it, it was... Um, you know, as, as some have written, it was the time of Camelot, right? Back, back, right. Then. And um, we, we're fortunate that, uh, again, people had the presence of mind to take original prints of the show and store them in temperature controlled vaults so they would survive all these years and, and get, you know, media out in terms of DVDs and Blu-rays. So, and, and now it's on streaming platforms and, all new generations of, of fans um, are finding it. And, you know, particularly during COVID, you know, people were home looking for something to watch. Um, you know, many 20 somethings, I think, discovered the Van Dyke show and have gotten hooked, hooked on it too. So um, it's, it's really a tribute again to quite a cast ensemble, you know, led by the genius and writing of Carl Reiner and others, Bill Persky and Sam Denoff, who in later years, contributed writing Gary Marshall, Jerry Belson, many others. Um, and, and with 
Sheldon Leonard and Danny Thomas at, at the helm to help ensure its success. So um, hopefully it continues on for years to come long, long after we're gone. Well, I, with people like you behind it, it, it can't miss. Well, I'm certainly uh, trying. Ken. I'm trying for sure. Yes. I, I can't thank you enough for your time and your patience. Uh, you are a delight to talk with. And I hope we can do this again sometime. Yeah, I, my pleasure. And as you say, I, I, I would love to, to chat some more about it. Um, I'm never at a loss of words uh, about the Dick Van Dyke show. <laughs> David, thank you so very, very much for your time. I appreciate it. That will do it for this edition of City Talk. Thanks for listening to another great conversation with Ken Meyer and friends. You can contact Ken by email. The address is kjmeyer7 at gmail.com. That's kjmeyer7 at gmail.com. Tune in next time for more conversation with Ken Meyer on City Talk.